Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kaya and I talk about how you can start, run and sell a bootstrap business. This episode is called Early Tech Choices and Analysis Paralysis. Let's get started. So I was working on a side project this week and I ran into an all too familiar pattern. The more I thought about the technical requirements of the project, the bigger it grew in my mind. And I really only wanted to build this just for myself to see if I could be customer zero but it derailed super quickly. What started as a, what is the core functionality I need to solve my problem, right? What, what do I need to build? Turn into, I probably need a multi-sonal cloud database where it's zero downtime guarantees, probably 10 years from now, a lot of caching, all these kind of things. And why does this happen all the time? Why do we over-engineer products even before we write the first line of code? Why do we over-optimize in our minds? And as a software engineer, I'm trained to see problems in edge cases. And that's probably where it's from, right? Either by education or experience, I live more in the future than I'm living in the present. I see a choice of technology not just as an enabler of something right now, but also as a source of technical debt later. And the commitment to any specific dependency just today could mean a lot of work a year from now when I'll need to switch it out for something that I need that just handle could handle future demand. And when I went to that point in my mind, I just paused because the term future demand kind of really stuck out with me. And I was already counting on future demand before I had even validated the need for myself. My mind was already looking at the problems of a full-grown business while I hadn't even thought about how I could implement the features I'd need for myself. And clearly, I was projecting too much, projecting too much of my thoughts and hopes into the reality. But how much is too much? That's what I want to talk about today. Let's talk about combating this initial analysis paralysis and how we can fight this urge to over-optimize. Once I understood that I was projecting this fictional technical debt into an uncertain future, I started to look at the things that I could be sure of right now, today. First of all, when you build a prototype, either for yourself or for beta customers, there's a pretty clear and limited amount of stakeholders. Right there and then, the people who have something to lose are you and, if present, your potential beta testers. If you're building this for yourself, then it's really just you. And that's it. There's no one else. There are no employees, no future co-founders, no investors, no acquirers, just you right now, and a handful of interested prospects, maybe, right? And an MVP is a validation machine. It's not your future product. Scalability is irrelevant for most validation prototypes. The whole point is to build something simple that can do the job well enough. You could likely validate most ideas with your test data just hard-coded into your application. You probably don't even need a database. So consider your MVP to be something you will likely scrap like a test version of the real thing, a fake version of your final product. And long-term technical considerations for an MVP will lead to this kind of analysis paralysis. If you assume you will shape your code base from the initial prototype to the final product without ever rewriting it or changing it, you're front-loading a lot of decision-making that lacks all kinds of data, right? What if you learn that your chosen customer data model that you use doesn't work for your use case. 
What if your customers have certain requirements that your initial database can't even satisfy? And what if you learn that an adjacent problem in the market is much more critical to solve for your audience just a couple months into building your product? So many what ifs, and all of which can only be answered by actually leaving the building and validating your assumptions in the real world. Validations from which you will need to iterate and improve. In short, you will need to change stuff. And it is at that point that the other stakeholders enter the arena. Much later, your future self as an owner of a functional business, well, you should only appear as a stakeholder in your consideration horizon at the point where actual business is forming, right? You are not going to be an owner of a functional business when you start validating your product. That's the whole point of validation. There's nothing functional about the business just yet. So you only really need to join this consideration horizon when you're done conceptualizing your MVP, when you actually validated something. And the thing I built today is not the product that I will sell in five years. It's a validation step and it's not the goal. If you understand your initial choices to be limited in time and scope, you can severely reduce the level of your analysis paralysis. And I have a couple questions that I asked myself when I went into that state that really helped me deal with the complexity. The first one is, will this allow me to build something that is good enough for a few dozen people to test? And when it comes to a database or when it comes to a server, anything will go, right? could start with a PHP script. You could build a Node.js application or go into a, even a Java thing, whatever you're really comfortable with, um, which is always a good idea when it comes to technology to build your business on, but particularly for prototype. Will it be enough? Will it be enough for a couple dozen people? If I have something, a signal for validation can always change to something more specific for this use case, but I want to validate. That's the whole point. And that leads to the second question. Will this be reliable enough for what I want to show as a prototype? Right? If you build a little script that executes quickly and does the job, well, if the server behind it is reliable enough, that is perfectly fine. You don't want to build a complicated infrastructure that could fall over when a couple of people try to test it just to see if the prototype works. You want something that is reliable. And that's always important for this stuff. And third one, I guess goes hand in hand with this, is the MVP technology that I choose cheap enough to be easily built and maintained, right? Can I quickly build something without having to spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on maintaining it or serving it somewhere? Or, you know, there are little servers that you can buy for five bucks a month or seven bucks, I guess, if you go to DigitalOcean or Heroku has a free tier, AWS has a free tier. Is there something free? Is there something cheap that I can use to still reliably offer the product to a couple of people to test or test it myself. And then on the flip side of all of this, can I quickly scrap the prototype and take the lessons learned with me? Those four questions are, I think, what you should ask yourself when it comes to MVP tech decisions. Because these questions are practical and actionable. And honestly, anything beyond that, save those questions about multisodal high availability and scalability for when you've actually validated that you're building something that deserves those kind of considerations. And in this slide, I kind of want to share a story about how we approached this question over time in our previous business, Feedback Panda. When we started building Feedback Panda, we made the choice of going with a database as a service provider that I had worked with before 
They're called Compose. I think before that they were called Mongo HQ, only served MongoDB databases, but they really went into Postgres and Redis and all other kinds of databases were purchased um, or acquired by IBM a couple of years ago. And I chose that one because it offered very reliable databases without much fluff. It definitely wasn't the cheapest option, right? It was, it started with 20 bucks a month, I think, but it was very convenient. And the lowest tier was great for initial development and I guess pretty cheap for a development um, database, 20 bucks around that. Um, but the pricing model could get quite expensive over time. And my reasoning to choose the provider was that during building, running, and operating Feedback Panda, I would never want to do anything related to database maintenance, even if it was going to be expensive. To actually purchase that as a service, um, it would still be better than having to do that myself. And I don't really enjoy that. It's like open heart surgery on your infrastructure, and it touches the source of truth for all your data. And honestly, I'd rather have the experts do that job for me. And our little database didn't need much scaling for the longest time, like for a year or something. And we really didn't produce that much data with Feedback Panda either. Most of it was just text templates and generated student feedback. So very functional, transactional data um, that was needed in the day-to-day of stuff. It wasn't like analytics or anything where you would pile up, pile up data that nobody would really need other than for a few calculations. But um, we were starting um, to, to see some growth. So at some point, a couple of clever database vacuum cron jobs and finding unused indices just allowed me to significantly reduce the, the RAM usage of the database and keep costs down as well. But of course, our data grew over time. Um, over the yeah, over the time, I think at the point when we sold our business, our database expenses accounted for almost half of our monthly non-salary spend for the business. But that was a choice, right? We paid a four-figure sum to Compose every month so that we didn't have to employ a database administrator and we didn't have to work night shifts and replace hardware or just restructure configuration files, this kind of stuff. We just didn't want to do it, so we paid a pretty hefty amount. Um, They provided superb service over the years. We never really had big issues. We had some connectivity things sometimes, but they they quickly resolved that. So that was, was really nice. And still... At some point, and this is why I'm telling you the story, I consider changing our database completely. Our servers were located here in Frankfurt in Germany, and our American customers occasionally complained about latency issues. The half of those uh, were due to their own slow computers and connections, but for many, being halfway around the world from our data center made a noticeable difference. And also, Compose would occasionally schedule maintenance windows right when the usage of Feedback Panda was highest, Because they thought, well, let's do it at night or early in the morning here in Europe, which is good if you have European customers, they wouldn't really notice. But our customers were American, so it was already early morning or midday for them. And they noticed. So they really didn't like our product to be offline right when they needed it. So I considered building Panda into something else, into like a multi-sonal, globally distributed application. The hope was no more lag and no more downtime. And how hard could it really be? Right? The technology was there. I looked into multiple avenues of doing this. Most of them were just way too complex, but there was a couple of interesting solutions like Google Spanner, the globally available cloud database with pretty much amazing distribution capabilities. And then I looked into their pricing and um, my initial calculation got me to a monthly of $16,000 for the smallest available instance. I had a good laugh and then I scrapped my global distribution plans. It just wasn't worth it, right? If you want to build something like, I don't know, Pokemon Go, 
or stuff like that that needs a globally distributed database, you use Google Spanner. But if you just want to shave off a couple dozens, maybe a couple hundred milliseconds for an initial connection, you're not going to pay $16,000 for this um, service. Particularly because at that point, I think we were at 30, 40,000 MRR, if at all. So that would have been more than half of our revenue. Um, yeah, not a good idea. So what I did instead was looking into building more reliability into the existing systems, right? We had a few maintenance windows that surprised us before where the database just would be restarted or um, it would be down for a few minutes. But I, I figured out there had to be a way to deal with this. And now that I knew we'd stick with Compose for a while longer, I dug into the infrastructure and found that they use something called portals, pretty much proxies to the database. Different portal, different connection string, but still connecting to the same database. And whenever they had a maintenance, it would only affect a certain groups of portals, always leaving other groups available. While this wouldn't fix the transatlantic lag, it would still fix the downtime issues. And all I needed to do was to register multiple portals for a database and build a small piece of connection logic into our system that would randomly select one of those connection strings when the server started. Eventually, every running instance of our backend would find a database portal that worked and could connect it within seconds. And that was a 20-line code change and maybe a double-digit monthly expense, 20 bucks, for the additional portals. It immediately removed the threat of lengthy maintenance windows that we had no control over, and I spent maybe half a day working on this. Now compare this with the $16,000 monthly fee for Spanner, right? It was just something that made a lot of sense, was quickly done, and made the system better without adding additional complexity. And that's really why I'm telling you this story. There are solutions that don't involve complicated infrastructure or complicated initial choices that come with a large price tag or something like this. You can build reliability and stability into your system by just making good choices along the way. And in the beginning as well. And your initial choices can go a long way if you want them to. Right? There will be a point in time where it makes sense to consider alternatives and upgrades. And even then, like in this story, they might not be the best choice. So what I'm trying to say is that there's no need to rush these decisions. Find something solid that you can work with that works for you in many different ways. In the beginning, a piece of technology that you can reliably use for your MVP that you might even want to continue using for your later product, but just pick something that will get you there now. If you need to make a switch later, you will find that decision when you need to make that decision. You don't need to front load all of these decisions to today. Because first off, you know much less than you will know in the future. So your decision right now might not make sense then. And it is just cognitive load to carry around with you. And when you're starting, when you're validating a product, when you're validating a business, you don't want to have the fear of the future in your thoughts all the time. You just want to have the now. You want to focus on the now. And that's when I think all of these um, analysis paralysis problems boil down to, that you skip over the now in fear of an uncertain future. Try to get back to the now, try to just get it as good as possible for the time being, and anxiety and stress will drop. Because if you don't care about the future because you just want something now, well, 
then there's no paralysis because you don't have, any, don't have anything to analyze. So I hope this helps with making initial technology choices. I wrote about this in my book, Zero to Sold. There's a, an article um, or like a chapter in there that gives you some sort of guidance um, into how you can make initial tech choices that last you for a while. The whole point here is you should be able to work for um, with this kind of technology quickly. It should be well-maintained. There should be a good community surrounding it, good libraries supporting it. Um, it should be popular. It should be well-established. All these kind of things. You, you can find more on this in, in Zero to Sold. And the book itself is available on Amazon and Gumroad if you want to look into it. Um, the book's website is zerotosoldbook.com. But I, I really encourage you to just make a choice now. Make a choice about the technology that you want to use, that you're fine with, that you're happy with. Maybe something you want to learn a bit more about, but don't jump into the the completely new technology that you've never worked with before. If you want to build something to validate, you should use technology that you're used to. You should do something, um, or use something that makes you prototype faster, not slower. Which is why for my side projects all over the last couple of years, I've always used Elixir and Phoenix. There may be the, the framework behind it, right? There may be new things in the framework that I hadn't used a couple of years ago. The, the framework has evolved, the language has evolved, but the, the skill of building something quickly is still there because I've been using this for many, many years. So I hope this helps. Um, thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at avidkahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. You can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. You can find my book Zero to Sold at zerotosoldbook.com. And if you have any questions about this episode that I should be answering on air, reach out on Twitter or send an email to arvid at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me in the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It'll help other founders or founders to be to find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their business. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.